What it do? How's it going, everyone? Good to be back with you from Croatia. Yeah, I had a nice trip over there uh, visiting Zagreb and Ljubljana in Slovenia. It was pretty cool. Went to a patient conference with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Rick Simpson. Let's, uh, let's get a call in from Rick. How you doing, Rick? This is Rick Simpson, and you're listening to The Mike Wise Show. People have to come to realize that cannabis is not an enemy of mankind. It is actually man's best friend. And we can produce the greatest medicines on this planet from this wonderful plant. So please look into what I'm saying, and I think you will find the truth for yourself. That's right. Take the oil. That's basically what Rick is saying, and, and that's basically what I came back with uh, from this trip, was the wonderful healing powers that that are, you know, possible with this plant. You know, it can cure basically any disease. And I'm going to get into that later on in the show. Before I do, let me give a quick shout-out to the sponsors that keep us going here at the Mike Wise Show. Got to give a shout-out to Pipes Peak in Colorado Springs and in Canyon City. Check them out. Tell them you heard about them on my show. You'll get 10% off your entire order. And, of course, 710 Pipes. We're above the studio uh, we're in the studio above their shop now, 907 East Colfax here in Denver. Come on by. Tell them, hey, I heard about you on the Mike Wise Show. Give me some some discounts, guys. And they'll do that. And they'll, they'll give you 25% off your entire order. So it's definitely pretty cool. Give them a shout. Um, I got to give some love to the trim shop, uh, Colorado Springs, Durango, and Denver. Put down the scissors. Quit paying these trimmers, these bums. You know, all they do is complain and whine and ask for more breaks well a machine won't do that you know so stop on by the trim shop tell them you heard about them on my show you'll get 25 percent or 25 dollars not percent 25 dollars off your rental um which is pretty cool they have rentals for as low as 100 dollars a day and um, i know people who've gone through insane amounts of product they've processed it um you know like i said the machine doesn't complain and the the flour is very good quality you can't tell that it was put through a machine and last but not least, I want to give a shout-out to Endomax Lighting. Definitely check them out. So what we're getting into on this show was um, we'll be talking hemp. Um, we'll be talking cannabis. We'll be talking about Rick Simpson Oil, RSO. Before I do, I'll tell you about a project I just started up, and we'll go into detail after. Um, but um, I started shooting a new film. Basically, it's run from The Cure 2, basically. Um, it's the updated Rick Simpson story. So we're going to have his full story in a film, in a documentary. And you beautiful people are lucky enough to witness it. So keep your ears peeled for that. There will be updates coming up. And uh, it's called The Emperor's Apprentice. And so if you don't know, Jack Hare, he's the emperor of hemp. You know, that was his name. Um, arguably the largest activist for the movement. Um, so committed that he, the movement killed him, literally. He... Um, so passionate, he gives it all in all of his speeches, and he just collapsed after giving one of his speeches. And that, that day before he did collapse, he said, hey, if this is the end, you know, I want you to pass on the movement to Rick Simpson. Pass on the reins to Rick. So Rick then became the emperor's apprentice. Um, so I don't know if you guys have. Most of you probably haven't heard of it. But, you know, there is a book, which we, we talked about on the last show, called The Emperor Wears No Clothes where it outlines everything, how this plant literally can save the world. We can make all our clothing. We can make our fuel, our housing. We can eat. 
we can, our food supply can be hemp seeds. Um, there's this unlimited possibilities, of course, besides the, the life-saving potential by extracting the extracts, you know, the essential oils out of the plant. There's so many possibilities with this, you know, and so Rick's carrying on the movement. I'm carrying on the movement. And um, what I'm going to do for you is play the Emperor of Hemp right now. So um, it's a documentary on Jack's life. So enjoy. And once again, you're listening to The Mike Wise Show here on Toke Radio. It's a crisp spring morning in Manhattan. A perfect day for a march down Broadway. But on this day, for this crowd, the Big Apple isn't exactly rolling out the red carpet. There are delays and confusion about where to gather. Mayor Rudy Giuliani waits until the very last minute to issue the necessary permit. But several thousand show up anyway, and eventually this ragtag army begins the long trek to Battery Park. The marchers have all come together this day for various reasons, but with one common voice, to protest the United States policies on marijuana. The marchers are cordially escorted by a phalanx of New York's finest. Or so it seems. Business as usual in America's war on drugs. They're not going to get rid of us that easy. For the last 30 years, a hardcore band of activists has been fighting the war on marijuana in what they see as a struggle for truth and justice. One man among them stands apart. He has been described as a cult folk hero, a boisterous rabble-rouser, a crazy man. His name is often mispronounced. He likes to say it rhymes with terror. But one thing is certain. Because of him, we enter the next millennium with a new knowledge of an ancient plant. A plant whose present-day revival was sparked by this man's 1985 best-selling book. The book revealed the lost history of the hemp plant, and in doing so, lit a fire under a legion of followers the world over. Its title is, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Its author is known as the father of today's burgeoning hemp movement. His name is Jack Harris. of age, Jack Herrer has been stumping for hemp nearly half his life. It's been a long, strange, and decidedly uphill journey. 
but he trudges onward despite ill health. Somehow turning on the passion when the curtain goes up. ago that Jack Herrer's ideas about hemp were deemed irrational, extreme, off the wall. But today those harsh judgments seem like a distant memory. Jack Herrer's great genius was in introducing a broader vision of the economic value of the hemp plant. I didn't know anything about hemp or the fact that there was a movement until Jack sat me down one night. He is what you might call a force of nature. I've met several people in my lifetime who I would judge as having such fiery intensity within them that approve of them or disapprove of them, you have to acknowledge that they are forces of nature. I saw Jack as a Michigan, a crazy man. And um, particularly when it came to this whole idea that hemp was going to somehow revolutionize the world and revolutionize the marijuana reform movement. And so, uh, Michigan is the right word for Jack. Jack Herrer was an unlikely candidate for Emperor of Hemp. He was born into a conservative, middle-class Jewish family in 1939 and grew up in Buffalo, New York. He led a normal, happy life there until his 41-year-old father died of a heart attack when Jack was only 14. Within a span of three years, Jack went from Boy Scout to high school dropout. To avoid a two-week jail term for driving after dark with a junior license, 17-year-old Jack Herrer enlisted in the Army. He quickly adapted to military life. The gung-ho soldier served honorably as an MP in post-war Korea. By the mid-60s, Jack was out of the Army and back into a normal middle-class lifestyle. Wife, three small children, a ranch house in the San Fernando Valley in California, and a series of routine managerial jobs. Army duty had made him proud of his country. He was a Goldwater Republican. He believed in old-fashioned American values, and he supported the country's growing involvement in Vietnam. Well, I had done three years in the military. I believed I was right on guy. I believed America was always the good guy. It was, I mean, always the most decent, right-on people on the earth.
The 60s upheavals offended Jack. He especially had a very low regard for the anti-war protesters. I thought that they were the most un-American kids in the world. And what evil spell had turned previously well-behaved, well-dressed, middle-class white kids into loathsome, rebellious hippies? To Jack and the establishment, marijuana must have had something to do with it. From the time marijuana first showed up in police blotters and newspaper headlines in the early years of the century, its use had been limited primarily to Mexican immigrants and black jazz musicians. Marijuana was hardly noticed at all until it was discovered by the white middle class in the 60s when millions of baby boomers actually inhaled. Coincidence or not, they began burning American flags, ROTC buildings, and draft cards. Even future leaders of the free world tried marijuana back then. Jack hated marijuana for its association with the counterculture. But he also had deep-rooted personal fears deriving from the reefer madness propaganda of his youth. In the schools, they'd have this guy in a dark fedora hat, and uh, he, he, he looked like um, Vincent Price, as shady as he could be, and he would be... Um, you try one of these for free, kid, you know. And this is Rick Simpson, and you're listening you to the Mike Wise Show. You know, you were um, doing cocaine, you were doing things in exotic named drugs that I had no experience with, and I was sure that this was going to happen to me. The 60s rising tide of social change eventually swept in and altered the course of Jack's life. In 1967, he and his wife divorced. One day, a couple of years later, a new girlfriend asked him a question. Uh, she said, Jack, have you ever smoked marijuana? I said, of course not. No, I've never smoked marijuana. Well, I think you should. I was feeling sensations that I didn't even know a human being could experience. And I said, why is this illegal? She said, she doesn't know. I began to hear the protesters about the war in Vietnam, and their words had real meanings, textures. They weren't just talking about, I don't want to fight because I'm a coward, which is the way I thought of it in my, my ignorant or brutish way before. Peace and freedom became big issues for Jack. So did the environment. But as the 70s began... The journey of Jack Herrer from Goldwater Republican to Emperor of Hemp was only just beginning.
Jack's transformation gained some momentum in 1973 when he satisfied a lifelong urge to write. He and a friend co-authored a little cartoon book about marijuana titled simply Grass. Much to his surprise, Grass became an underground hit, selling about 35,000 copies. Almost overnight, Jack gained a reputation as an authority on marijuana. And now everybody thought I knew all about pot. I knew every little subtle thing. And I still didn't even know if I ran across a marijuana plant growing in a field, I wouldn't even recognize it. Like millions of other Americans back then, Jack knew nothing of marijuana's history and had no idea that marijuana was actually hemp, the non-intoxicating but still very much illegal variety of the ancient cannabis sativa plant. But as sales of his little grass book raised his profile, strangers began to come up to him with intriguing bits of information. They come up to me and say, Mr. Herr, do you know that they used to make paper from marijuana some other kid would come up to me and says do you know that they used to make all their sales and clothes out of marijuana the idea that it had other uses that you could make paper out of it that you could make cloth out of it you could make cord out of it you could make oil you could make medicine those i had never occurred to jack and boy did he take that idea and run with it Jack was amazed to discover hemp's deep connection to mankind. For over 10,000 years, hemp was undeniably our most useful plant. Our ancestors depended on hemp's exceptionally strong fiber, cellulose-rich pulp, and highly nutritious seeds. The plant was cultivated and used throughout history for food, clothing, fuel, and medicine, as well as for sails, rope, shelter, and paper. In colonial America, hemp was not only legal, but essential to survive. Uh, Washington planted hemp at Mount Vernon in the 1790s um, while he was president in an attempt to start a home industry so that the United States would not have to depend on Italy and on Russia and on England for their hemp fiber. Um, this was just after the revolution, and the United States was trying madly not to have to rely on foreign countries for any products. Armed with this new knowledge, Jack set out to persuade the marijuana reform movement to join him aboard his new hemp bandwagon. But to his surprise, nobody got on. Not even the usual suspects. Many of us thought that Jack was perhaps... Uh, too focused only on hemp. Uh, most of us were only focused on let's stop arresting smokers and we sort of thought the hemp issue was a secondary issue and maybe not as important and we weren't even sure there was a constituency out there that cared about it. The message, as well as the messenger, turned people off. When he first talked about hemp, to me in particular, I was very resistant because I thought of it as being just a excuse to, mar to legalize marijuana. He tended in his enthusiasm to overstate the case a bit. And in so doing, uh, 
sometimes the rest of us were embarrassed by that. We felt like it might undermine all of our credibility. It, he would go on and rant about, you know, hemp and how it was important and how it could, how he's found this and found that, and I paid little or no attention to him because he has a tendency to rant and rave about a lot of things, if you know him. I suspect I'm probably one of those people that refused to return Jack's phone calls. Go! There was one person who did accept Jack's ideas back then. An easygoing marijuana activist named Ed Adair could see the sense to what Jack was saying. Adair, known to everyone as Captain Ed, owned two popular Los Angeles head shops. I'd heard he'd sold 12 of the uh, grass books. So I went over there and introduced myself, and he looked at me and he says, I've been selling the hell out of these books. But he says, are you sure you don't tell you smoke pot? Because what I walked in with was a white plastic jacket with my uh, polyester pants. Jack followed Captain Ed's example and traded his polyester suits for jeans and t-shirts. The two became inseparable friends, and over the years, they collected hundreds of thousands of signatures for various legalization initiatives in California. When Captain Ed and I made a pledge, it was to work every day to legalize cannabis until we were dead, it was legal, and we turned 84. And we always felt the great injustice is that if anybody was in jail for cannabis for any reasons, it would always be too big of an injustice to walk away from and not spend almost all our time trying to change. One night in 1974, Jack experienced what he describes as nothing short of a revelation. All his newfound knowledge of the hemp plant suddenly coalesced into a single powerful vision. Hemp could actually save the world. In a flash moment it came to him that virtually everything now made from trees and petroleum could instead be made from hemp. That not another single tree would ever have to be cut down to make paper. That clean-burning fuel would now be made from the biomass of the abundant hemp plant. This new fuel would run cars, factories, power plants, and would even provide heat for our homes. That hemp could be grown and processed into cloth and paper with only a fraction of the toxic chemicals used in processing cotton and trees. Jack pictured a world saved from pollution. Acid rain, global warming, and deforestation. Well, just about everybody assumed that Jack had gone completely mad. And my own kids thought, Dad, you've gone overboard. You're doing this marijuana legalization now for three years, and now you've gone overboard. Normal felt the same way. You didn't tell people that that marijuana is going to save the world with no self-respecting person will come to the marijuana movement. They'll think they're going to involved with a nut like you. Jack's 
unrelenting, Jack ignored the naysayers and stuck to his guns. Late in 1979, he and Captain Ed opened the nation's first hemp store, an outdoor stand famous to this day, where else but Venice Beach, California. Overnight, Jack became a boardwalk fixture. The hemp merchant of Venice. A man of hemp and cloth preaching the gospel. He's interested in saving the damned world and informing everyone he knows about hemp. He wears it on his body. He can't stop to buy a hot dog without starting to spread the news. He's been doing this continually. Now, when a guy like this is more like an Armenian rug merchant on the Lower East Side or something. You know what I mean? He's, he's straight off the Bowery. He, he's a working class guy. As the 80s began and the country braced itself for an official policy of zero tolerance toward marijuana, Jack was about to have a close encounter with the 40th president of the United States. January 1981, West Los Angeles, California. Mere days before the presidential inauguration, Jack and a small encampment of followers are campaigning for California hemp and marijuana initiatives. Along comes Ronald Reagan. President-elect Reagan's motorcade pulls up to the federal building. He's scheduled for a pre-inaugural haircut. According to eyewitnesses, great communicator questions the building manager. By the way, he says, what are the Canadians protesting about out there? And uh, he thought that the marijuana flag we were flying out there was the maple leaf. And, he, and, and the guy that's the manager of the office of the building, he says, well, he's, they're, not, they're not Canadians. Those are marijuana protesters. And Reagan says, well, isn't there something you can do about that? Well, we've taken the court and they've won. Well, I'll be on duty in five days. I'll see what I can do for you. What Reagan does is have Jack and five others arrested for violating an arcane wartime sabotage act. The others pay a $5 fine and get probation. Jack fights. He refuses to pay the fine and loses. His appeal is unsuccessful. The United States Supreme Court refuses to hear the case. So on July 14, 1983, Jack reports to federal prison at Terminal Island, California. There were a lot of bank robbers in federal prison in 1983. And... Uh, what are you in here for? Um, I was registering voters after dark on federal property. <laughs> they put you in jail. <laughs> Running for the border, spinning to the light. Frozen 
Jack's incarceration would have been insignificant, except for the fact that he finally had the time and solitude to begin writing another book. There was no radio, there was no television, no movies, no nothing to distract me. A couple guys would sing gospel songs a cappella, but that was, that was about it. I knew that Jack Herrera's book was going to become an underground classic. I knew it right away from the first time I saw the first edition. People opened that book and said, you can make food out of hemp seed oil, you can burn it in a lamp, you can make rope, uh, you can make parachute cordage and tie your shoes, and the Constitution was really printed on hemp paper. I mean, people love that. In 1985, Jack published The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Since then, the book has gone on to become an underground phenomenon selling more than 600,000 copies worldwide and is now in its 11th edition. The first populist book of its kind, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, is part scientific document, part journalistic expose, and part holy crusade. It takes us on a journey of discovery that provides a caustic, sarcastic, and often irreverent look at the forgotten history and economic potential of the hemp plant. Written in simple and scholarly detail, its pages are filled with numerous articles, historical documents, photographs, and diagrams, along with the writings of poets, philosophers, and, of course, the emperor himself. We learn of the thousands of commercial and therapeutic uses of hemp, and how hemp has been a significant part of our spiritual and cultural heritage throughout the ages. We discover how the hemp seed could again become a basic world food, and how no other single plant seed contains virtually all the nutritional elements necessary to maintain healthy human life. The Emperor Wears No Clothes explores in great detail Jack's most passionate beliefs, that biomass fuels derived from hemp can provide virtually all of the world's energy needs, eliminating the global dependence on our nearly depleted fossil fuels. That the systematic destruction of our environment can be dramatically reduced or even stopped by using hemp as the resource for fiber, fuel, and paper. The book makes the case for hemp as the world's savior, and Jack backs it up with a $50,000 offer to anyone who can prove him wrong. So far, he's had no takers. The book also takes us on a journey of the bizarre. The Curious Origin of Marijuana Prohibition Only in the 20th century did the ancient hemp plant become a frightening new drug. The Mexican slang word, marijuana, was unknown to most Americans until it began appearing in newspaper headlines early in the century. Marijuana horror stories, works of pure fiction, were staples of the sensationalistic newspapers owned by William Randolph Hearst but even respectable papers printed outrageous tales. Although this story would be relegated to the tabloids today, 
It was fit to print in the distinguished New York Times on July 6, 1927. A Mexican woman and her four children are driven insane by marijuana, the New York Times reported. It went on to say that neighbors rushed to the house to find the entire family insane. incurably insane, a condition caused by the drug marijuana to which he was addicted. It is recommended, Your Honor, that the defendant be placed at an institution for the criminally insane for the rest of his natural life. The next tragedy may be that of your daughter, or your son, or yours, or yours, or yours. Although alcohol prohibition required a constitutional amendment, marijuana prohibition was brought about by a single federal law, the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. The driving force behind this law was Harry J. Anslinger, America's first drug czar. Anslinger was the government's expert witness during 1937 congressional hearings on the proposed Marijuana Tax Act. As proof of marijuana's malevolence, Anslinger introduced into evidence the bogus Hearst newspaper headlines that trumpeted the violence, insanity, and death allegedly caused by marijuana. In 1937, when the Marijuana Tax Act uh, was established, there were no data of any sort, much less scientific, about whether this compound was harmful or not. There was just evidence it was being used by people uh, whom we distrusted and feared, and that it was associated with lower-class people. You go back and read the record in Congress, it's amazing the lack of information. There were literally questions by members of Congress saying, what is this marijuana? Is it a narcotic or what is it? And there would be a sentence, uh, some, someone would stand up and say, oh, it's the most dangerous new drug coming down the pipe. In terms of what Congress knew in 1937, they didn't know any of that history. The only history that they were given was all these cock and bull stories about how it made people crazy and they went out and killed people under the influence of marijuana. The tax act was built on lies and I think it's outrageous that we have legislation that still exists today uh, that, that the, it was based on lies. Despite opposition by the American Medical Association, Congress passed the law unanimously after debating for a grand total of 90 seconds. President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed it into law on August 3, 1937. Theoretically, the new law did not actually prohibit marijuana and hemp. Only a constitutional amendment could do that. But by imposing prohibitive taxes and mountains of red tape, it made cultivation, processing, sales, and any use of the hemp plant whatsoever virtually impossible. Technically, farmers could still legally grow a hemp plant like this one, but only if they could somehow grow it without the leaves and flowers. This law is still in effect today. The full reasons behind marijuana prohibition are still being debated. Some experts think racism played a part. 
so that when poor people, immigrants, take the drugs, we're afraid they're going to rise up, smite, steal, and take the white women. And so we outlaw the drugs because of our fears over that. Others think Harry Anslinger was motivated by ambition and power. A great deal of the reason that marijuana was prohibited was because of self-aggrandizement at the federal level, especially with Harry Anslinger wanting to be the J. Edgar Hoover of his own agency. Jack sees darker motives. His book alleges a high-level conspiracy revolving around Anslinger, Treasury Secretary Andrew Mellon, the DuPont Chemical Company, and hemp. Before the Civil War, hemp was the nation's second largest cash crop behind cotton. But while cotton could be processed by machine, Slaves were the only cost-effective way to separate the tough hemp fiber from the pulpy core that was used to make paper. When slavery ended after the war, the hemp industry went into decline. The death knell was sounded in the late 1800s when papermakers converted to tree-based pulp. It meant that uh, you could chop down a forest a lot cheaper than you could pay laborers to manufacture hemp fiber for paper. Jack hangs his conspiracy angle on events that happened simultaneously with marijuana prohibition. Coincidence number one. A German immigrant invented a machine called the decorticator. This new mechanical processing device was about to bring hemp into the modern industrial age. Popular Mechanics magazine recognized the potential bonanza for American farmers and entrepreneurs this article heralded a machine that could process hemp quickly and cheaply for the first time in history. Coincidence number two. The DuPont company in the 30s came out with both a sulfuric acid method for making paper from trees and a new invention called plastic. Jack's book points out that a hemp resurgence would certainly have been a serious threat to DuPont's petrochemical strategies. And finally, there's millionaire financier Andrew Mellon. Mellon was Anslinger's boss, Harry's wife's uncle, and DuPont's banker. Coincidences number three, four, and five. Don't smoke all of my The book's credibility got a boost from Jack's discovery of this 14-minute documentary. Supposedly made by the U.S. government five years after the Marijuana Tax Act. Its purpose was to encourage farmers to grow outlawed hemp during World War II. Long ago, when these ancient Grecian temples were new, hemp was already old in the service of mankind. For thousands of years, even then, this plant had been grown for cordage and coarse cloth in China and elsewhere in the East. But now, with Philippine and East Indian sources of hemp in the hands of the Japanese, and shipment of jute from India curtailed, 
American hemp must meet the needs of our Army and Navy as well as of our industries. In 1942, patriotic farmers at the government's request planted 36,000 acres of seed hemp, an increase of several thousand percent. The goal for 1943 is 50,000 acres of seed hemp. For to grow hemp legally, you must have a federal registration and tax stamp. This is provided for in your contract. Ask your AAA committee man or your county agent about it. Don't forget. Jack often staged public showings of hemp for victory to validate his history of the plant. He also used the film as an example of government deception and hypocrisy. But he was stunned one day in 1988 to get a call from a newspaper reporter questioning the authenticity of the film. Well, Mr. Hare, we went out to check the information, and um, we found nobody that would corroborate your story that um, this movie was even ever made. Uh, you said this movie was made by the United States government, this movie Hemp for Victory. That if there would be any evidence that the government ever made such a film, it would be in the Library of Congress, it would be in the Department of Agriculture, it is in neither Place. His reputation on the line, Jack and his friends went on an excursion to Washington, D.C. We were just determined to find the documentation that made it a credible uh, government movie made by the U.S. government and not made by Jack. We didn't see it as detective work. We just saw it as we were on a mission. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> Many others before Jack had searched the Library of Congress for proof of the documentary's existence and found none. In a day of digging, Jack ran into the same lack of evidence. After deciding to give up, we decided to give it one more try. In a dusty old book, hidden among clutter in a back room, they found it, the official Library of Congress documentation. Indeed, the film had been made by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Hemp for victory. few short years since The Emperor Wears No Clothes first began inspiring activists and entrepreneurs, the U.S. hemp industry has grown from Jack's ramshackle Venice Beach booth into a hundred million dollar a year business. I was shopping for a suit the other day and walked into the department store. Stepped on the elevator and told the girl, dry goods flow. When I got off, I said, well, come up to me. He said, now, what can I do for you? I said, well, go in there and show me all the sports clothes like you supposed to. He said, well, show. Come on in, buddy, and dig these fabrics we got laid out on the shelf. He said, pick yourself out one. Try it on. Stand in the mirror and dig yourself. The world's getting this information. It's coming out on billboards. It's coming out on companies all over, everywhere. As hemp gained mainstream acceptance in the 90s, so did Jack. His critics became allies. When Steve Hager became editor of High Times in the late 80s, and he went ahead and just 
wrote column after column, uh, article after article, month after month in his magazine. And that's really what exploded the idea of hemp. More to the colleges, more to everybody that picked up a high tie has now read about hemp. In 1994, he was honored by the conservative Drug Policy Foundation in Washington. With his efforts for showing the impact one individual can have on the lives of many others, Jack Herra is awarded the 1994 Robert C. Randall Award for achievement in the field of citizen action. At the awards dinner, the emperor wore a hemp suit. vindicated Jack Moore than a 1992 Lifetime Achievement Award from his longtime adversary, Normal. From a nemesis to a prophet, I think, is the way to look at it. He was a bother and a troublesome until he began to realize he had really discovered very important aspect of why it is that marijuana should be reconsidered and why it should, the illegality of it is so preposterous and unfair. I think that Jack's place in the history of anti-prohibition movement is going to be secured by the simple fact that he, despite everybody's criticisms, everybody thinking he was crazy, that he had the persistence and the temerity to simply keep going on and saying the truth over and over and over again, no matter, it, it sometimes seems like you have to say the truth many times before anybody hears it. The Emperor Wears No Clothes is a book that's had an enormous impact in this country on awakening millions of Americans to the fact that the marijuana laws are wrong, that they're based on false premises, uh, that they're racial in nature, and that we need to change them. I don't know anyone who's had as much impact as Jack has. Neither Jack nor anyone else in the outgunned, outspent reform movement was having any impact at all on U.S. drug policies. In the last years of the 20th century, incredibly, America was the only industrialized nation that still forbid hemp farming, forcing the U.S. hemp industry to import all its raw material. According to the government, allowing farmers to grow hemp would confuse police and send a wrong message to children. Drugs are every nation's problem, and every nation must act to fight them. We are determined to build a drug-free America and to join with others to combat drugs around the world. Let there be no doubt, this is ultimately a struggle for human freedom. In the 90s, the federal government escalated the war on marijuana. 
spending a record amount of money to arrest a record number of Americans, most for simple possession. Since Prohibition began in 1937, upwards of 70 million Americans have tried marijuana at least once. A staggering 11 million of them have been arrested. With one in every 40 prisoners a marijuana offender, the United States has become the world's biggest jailer. Some states now spend more on prisons than on higher education. Even alcohol prohibition did not punish the users of alcohol. Uh, when marijuana prohibition was instituted, however, it, the prohibition was aimed directly at users, which it had not been with alcohol prohibition. Well, just here in America, it's 14 million years have been spent on prison, jails, parole, or probation since the 1930s for marijuana. 14 million years. I can't even begin to calculate what that is at $25,000, $30,000 a year now. It gets me angry every day. All available research has concluded that marijuana is dangerous to our health. Marijuana limits learning and memory perception and judgment and our ability to drive a car. The war on marijuana is also a war on the sick and dying. Even after California and five other states overwhelmingly approved medical marijuana initiatives in the late 90s, the federal government still plays hardball. Despite these initiatives, we want to make clear that federal law still applies, and federal officials will continue to apply the law, and DEA officials will review cases, as they have, to determine whether to revoke the registration of any physician who recommends or prescribes so-called Schedule I controlled substances. This is not a medical initiative. This is a legalization of drugs issue. The federal government, by classifying marijuana in Schedule I, is saying that it has no medical uses, which is a bald-faced lie, because it has 10,000 years in every culture of medical use. United States policy to the contrary. Cannabis has long been esteemed as a safe, effective and non-addicting medicine. For thousands of years, it was prescribed by the greatest physicians of their day. It was used for dozens of conditions ranging from migraines, chronic pain, and asthma, to childbirth, muscle spasms, and even depression. Today, it also provides relief for victims of multiple sclerosis, glaucoma, the AIDS wasting syndrome, and nausea induced by chemotherapy. It's impossible for a human to overdose and die, which is not true of alcohol, nicotine, barbiturates, or morphine. Um, and it's a drug which humans can use under a wide variety of circumstances with safety. Even so, U.S. House Republicans, using language that would have made Harry Anslinger proud, passed a resolution in 1998 branding marijuana a dangerous, addictive drug with no medical use.
they don't care if marijuana is the only drug that can alleviate your pain and suffering so that you can live longer, so that you can take your chemotherapy, so that you have a, a reasonable quality of life. They would rather fight the war on drugs even though they know that there are sick and dying patients being denied relief because of their position. Unconscionable. Well, you would think that after at least a generation of, of really good information about marijuana being circulated, why is the war still going on? One, I think the people in charge of government today, particularly in the law enforcement sections of government, are people who are afraid of the, of the culture around marijuana. Uh, it, it harkens back to the Vietnam War era, Vietnam War protests, the civil rights protests, people who are trying to change the government. But notwithstanding that people talk about how the police are not particularly interested in marijuana cases, in fact, it is their bread and butter. The war on drugs is supported in part now because we have a drug abuse establishment. Every place I turn and talk to somebody about what he or she does, he's in drug abuse treatment, drug abuse prevention, drug abuse education, uh, uh, urine testing, uh, interdiction. Uh, he's a policeman, an undercover investigator, uh, a jail builder, a jail keeper. Uh, I sometimes think there's nobody left in the United States except a few of us and all the people who are making their living fighting the war on drugs. They used to call us the land of the free, and now they call us the land of the pee where you have to peat to be tested to be free. What a crock. All you have to do is say the word drugs, and you can change the Constitution so that it's meaningless. You can search people's homes without valid cause. You can seize people's property without valid cause. You can seize people's lives and destroy families. They talk about family values. How many thousands of families have been destroyed by these vicious laws. Not another medicine, not another drug on this planet that nobody has ever died from. Nobody has ever died from marijuana that wasn't shot by a cop. Jack Herrera. Have I pronounced it correctly, Jack? Herrera. Herrera. Okay. Jack Herrera. Jack Herrera. Jack Herrera. Jack Herrera. This to Jack Herrera. We're going to put on Jack Herrera. Hemp. Cult acclaim has not made Jack a household name, nor does he live like an emperor. Most of his income from book sales goes to finance his causes, not his lifestyle. When he's not on the road for weeks at a time campaigning for hemp and medical marijuana, Jack lives and works in this small, cramped apartment in Van Nuys, California. There he is, Jack is a cultural icon. He is probably as well known as anyone who's ever had, a, had an opinion uh, to offer on this subject. He is better known than probably anyone else who works on the marijuana law reform issue. Um, he is a, uh, a phenomenon that's been very positive. Uneasy rests the crown on he who would save the world. Jack enters the new millennium, still grieving over the untimely death of Captain Ed Adair, taken by leukemia in 1991 at the age of 51.
We had been together 19 years, the greatest friend a guy could ever have. He worked so hard to save this planet, and he believed he was saving it for you, me, his children, and he thought that this was the way to do it. Captain Ed and I planned was to get out and teach this information. Eventually we would get a cadre of believers and eventually they would go out and teach the world. And now we know that we've succeeded. And now we understand so much about the man. He's not insane, he is not crazy. He's not the devil in disguise. So Despite some health problems, Jack has no plans to kick back and take it easy with longtime companion Jeannie Hawkins. With the publishing of the 11th edition of The Emperor Wears No Clothes in late 1998, Jack's schedule is more hectic than ever, taking him and his message around the world. Jack is haunted, however, by the hard, cold facts of prohibition. Despite its undeniable potential as the natural, renewable alternative to a synthetic world, the hemp plant, by federal law, still cannot be cultivated in the United States. Despite increasing public and scientific support, the medical use of marijuana still remains illegal. And despite the enormous cost in money and human lives, millions of people are still being arrested for possessing a therapeutic substance revered by our ancestors. This is the reality of America's war on a plant. A war born of commerce and greed. An endless war. And so, the fight goes on. And on. I don't know if hemp's going to save the world, but I'll tell you this. Is the only thing that can. Well, there you have it, folks. Good to be back with you here on the Mike Wise Show. We're listening. So you just heard The Emperor of Hemp. Um... A film done in 1999, um, you know, narrated, of course, by Peter Coyote, and it's the story of Jack Hare, Hare the Terror. <laughs> That's how you say it. Everyone says his name wrong, but um, but yeah, I'm back with you. Mike Wise here. Um, Val's on the mic as well. Hey, everybody. There you are. <laughs> so, so there's a lot to go over. There's a lot we can touch on. Jack, he he was one who lived and died for the cause because he knew what the plant can do for the world. It can change the world in so many ways, and prohibition is affecting the world negatively in so many ways. Mm-hmm. 
So it's one of those things that I, I constantly talk about is, is, yeah, there's a law out there saying you can't do it, but how just is that law? You know, if the law is based on lies, should you follow it? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, of course, I always advocate if you're going to, if you have a family member or friend who, who has a serious illness, then of course you're going to do what you can and what you have to do for them. You got to grow and you got to make the oil. You know, you got to. And it sucks. It's like, why do we have to be criminals? You know, just because they don't agree with our views. But it's a good old government for you. Love them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so it's it's just it's tough, you know, because being over in Slovenia, they don't have a recreational market. They don't have this whole scheme that's set in place and normalized where there's a system in place to profit off of patients. So the system that they're implementing over there is that if you're a patient, you don't need to get a medical card, and you can grow unlimited amounts of plants as long as you're not trafficking it. So you can give it away, you know. So what's going on is that um, Bojadar... Um, one of the lead activists over there has created a program, you know, which I'm I'm pretty much copying verbatim in which he gives free oil to patients and in exchange for them growing. And at the end of the harvest, they need to give half of their flowers to him so he can make more medicine for more patients. And the program has just grown exponentially. And to me, it's amazing because it's truly a medical based system and i assume that that might have been the case here in colorado several years back but that's not the case now and this is one of the more upsetting things that i have to deal with every day because everyone talks about the industry this and the industry that what they don't realize is that the industry is the very same people that are causing these regulations and these laws to be passed that are affecting patients negatively. The industry doesn't care because they're going to make their money either way. Mm. Patients, you know, it's we don't have a vested interest monetarily in, in this movement. So it's upsetting to me to see to see patients really getting taken advantage of now, you know. Um, so, you know, even like these movements like regulate like alcohol, which I, I was, I was for, you know, and I'll tell you why is because when you're here and you're surrounded by all this talk, you start kind of being convinced, okay, I guess that's all right. It's not ideal, but I guess it's all right. Fuck that. (laughs) That's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Because... You know, it, it's there's a veil over our eyes. You know, nobody's talking about this. Everyone's talking about regulate like this and regulate like that because they want money. You know, it's a fucking plant that we're talking about here. You know, tomatoes are not regulated like alcohol. Corn is not regulated like alcohol. Corn is not regulated like tobacco. <laughs> we should have the regulate like t- tomato movement. <laughs> if you're going to have any movements and any regulations, because that that is the core of the problem of what we're getting at here is that 
our government knows that this is a life-saving medicine, whether they'll admit it publicly or not, they know this. But they're withholding this from their citizens. They are effectively killing their own people by withholding this information from their own people. You know, so that's fundamentally why I am against the government. That's fundamentally why I do not agree with our American government. That's one of the largest reasons is because they know that this can save lives and they're doing not a damn thing about it. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're doing the opposite and making it harder for people to gain access to this medicine. And that I'm not cool with. And go to jail. <laughs> and ruin lives. Yeah, ruining lives, you know. Even people here in this medical state are having their children taken away from them because it's still federally against mm -hmm. the law. Yeah. You know, so CPS, what a bunch of fucking clowns they are, <laughs> are stealing yeah. people's children and holding them for ransom and demanding that they stop smoking. <laughs> yep. it, it's, it's insane, you know. All right, you're listening to the Mike Wise Show. Jamming time. <laughs>
rumors spreading round. United Texas town. Right to check outside the game. You know what I'm talking about. Just let me know if you're gonna go. To that home out on the range. They got a lot of nice girls.
like that <laughs> i know it's just one thing after another over here but well, we're working out the kinks i feel like an old man sometimes he's <laughs> like eh, screw this technology <laughs> oh, i can't operate this crap i need an engineer <laughs> hint hint, hint, hint. <laughs> if anyone's out there Good one. <laughs> this is rick simpson and you're listening to the mike wise show and if you wish to save your life and to heal your medical problems for God's sakes, get on these cannabis extracts. That's right. And what Rick said, get on Gosh. these extracts. You got to take the oil. No, make the oil, take the oil, and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and shut up. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying now. Um, oh, but, yeah, yeah, no. But going along with that, um, seriously, there's a lot. It's amazing to me. I didn't know. I really didn't know. I really didn't know the potential of this oil and what it could do. And... You know, most people here think, oh, it's just for cancer. But no, like brain tumors shrunk, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of other conditions, MS, Lyme, this, the essential oils of this plant cures all of these conditions, you know, and the medical industry doesn't want me to say that. They don't want you to hear that, you know, but I'm going to be yelling it 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be telling everyone who will listen. And uh, with that being said, uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 17th, if you're interested in learning how to make these oils yourself, I'm doing a free workshop, a free seminar. It's called Power to the Patients Fest. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be Saturday the 17th at One Love Club in Colorado Springs. I'm going to be screening some movies because, of course, I'm a filmmaker, so we got to have movies, right? We're going to have my film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, probably playing last. We're going to play Run From The Cure, the Rick Simpson story. We're going to play um, that, the um, Hemp for Victory, which is a pretty interesting film made by our government in 1942. <laughs> and we're going to play The Emperor of Hemp. Besides that, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening are aware of this situation that arose in Colorado Springs at the MMJ work group where this woman um, spoke completely out of turn and this like completely destroyed the reputation of certain businesses claiming that they were owned and run by criminal organizations and cartels. Um, so, of course, the city jumped on it. And that shop got raided. Um, which I'm just so pissed about, I can't even begin to tell you. And then these dispensary owners go on the news and say, oh, yeah, I'm glad they got raided. We got our licenses. It's not fair. We need all the money. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Seriously, if you don't understand that this is a civil rights issue, the entire end of prohibition is a civil rights issue. Every single human and animal on this earth deserves access to this plant. Someone who tells you otherwise should be shot. (laughs) I'm not even I'm not even kidding. They are killing people by keeping this information from you. So come on out next Saturday. One Love Club in Colorado Springs. Along with that, um, what I was getting into is uh, public speaking. You know, some people, go, by all means, we need all the people we can to come into this industry and speak up and speak out. But you got to do it the right way. So I'm going to have a little seminar just on public speaking. You know, um, I am a communications major. That's my background. I graduated with a communications degree in 2009 from the University of Texas. So I'm going to kind of tell people the ins and outs, mainly. If you don't have something good to say about patients, don't say it because the officials and the crowd you're talking to or the media is going to take the negative and run with it. And they're not going to listen to any of your positive. So that's going to be the main focus. And then besides that, I'm going to show you how to make oil yourself with simple tools that you can do at home. You don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to go to years of medical school. You don't need to know really much of anything. You don't need to grow. You can find it from a dispensary you trust. But if not, grow. It's super simple. And um, I'm going to show you how to make this oil. Um, If we can get sponsors, which I'm not sure that's going to happen. And I'll tell you why. That's a perfectly good example of how this industry does not care about patients. No, seriously. <laughs> they, I never, I never, I, it's very hard for me to get sponsors for this events. But for all these rec events and all these secret sesh bullshit smoking events, there's a million sponsors. But I, I've done events exclusively for patients and I've never charged entrance for any of them. Nobody wants a sponsor. But if we can get more sponsors, I'll get some more equipment and some more material and there will be opportunity for you to get your hands on and make it yourself with me. 
and I'll guide you through it. If not, I'll show you how to do it, and then you, when you do it yourself, hey, send me a message, uh, give my phone number, call me, and I'll guide you through it. There's live streams of me um, showing you how to make it also that can help. Um, that's currently up on the Emperor's Apprentice Facebook webpage. Just go to facebook.com, the Emperor's Apprentice, um, backslash the Emperor's Apprentice. Um, and so I'm going to be introducing – well, I shouldn't say introducing, but I'm going to be revealing what a lot of people are unaware of in this country – in terms of creating Rick Simpson oil, is not only the method to make it inside of the rice cooker, which is the most common and easiest way, but also a solventless method where you can take it a step further and uh, put the oil into a vaporizer and create uh, solventless Rick Simpson oil for patients who are sensitive to alcohol. So that's going to be next, not this Saturday, but next Saturday um, in two weeks at One Love Club. So that's going to be pretty cool. And it's free. It's free. Colorado Springs, They're free to all, free for all, all ages until 5 p.m. Um, so come out. It's family friendly. Um, it is a church, um, so there is no it, it's donation based, but uh, not required. Um, so come on out and enjoy services with me <laughs> and other patients. Um, so you know, I just wanted to bring up some other things. Uh, um, Voting is over. I never did plug it on the show, but I've been nominated for Activist of the Year. And I got Rick Simpson's endorsement, which to me means I won. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that'll be pretty cool. Next Wednesday, I believe, is the award ceremony. So hopefully I'll get that. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, another thing that happened recently is um, our film, Illegally Alive. We finally were able to clear legal <sighs> because... Um, of a thing called implied consent. We didn't have film releases for everyone, but for the people we didn't, they were giving us direct interviews. So that falls under implied consent, and we are able to show the film. I am a little upset because we didn't get to submit to South by Southwest, which is where I really wanted to submit the film to. I had a good idea that we would get accepted. Um, Sundance came back, and we did not make the cut for Sundance, so we will not be in oh. Sundance. But... We premiered the film since we did find out that all this, that we could do it and not go to jail, <laughs> was, uh, was a film festival in Manitou Springs called the Cinebus Film Festival. And they also had a health and wellness expo tied into it, which was pretty cool. But um, we premiered our film there and we won the Medicine Makers Award. So that was pretty cool. There you was know. not a dry eye in the place. <laughs> I swear. Everybody. There was sniffles all over the room. <laughs> yeah, which I got to give good. a big shout out to Dale Demasi for that, for, for putting the story together yeah, and um, really pulling out the emotion out of that story. He did a really good job. I mean, really, the film, really, the film is, you know, I don't want to sound too like every other filmmaker, but, but it, it, it's more than just a film. You know, and it's because of how it came together and the team behind it. You know, I I have Crohn's all sorts of symptoms that I was dealing with the entire time of making this film. Every morning I wake up, I throw up for two to four hours and there would be blood all the time. You know, and this was every day I was filming. That's one thing. Dale DeMasi, um, he only has one arm. So all the footage he got. He had to do it himself, you know, and Ben Worley, our composer, just graduated high school. So we kind of have this ragtag team of, of I don't want to say misfits, but we came together in a very interesting 
way and let our creative juices shine, you know, where we all excelled best, I feel. I think that's that's what was how this project really came together in a in a meaningful way was that the three of us used our strengths mm-hmm. instead of trying to use our weaknesses in places. We all used what we were best at and we have a film that I'm I'm not 100% proud of. There still be there will be some edits. It's what what we screened You are proud of it. But what there we can screened be No, not there can be. There will be. <laughs> there will what be, we screened yes. There is not going to be the final yeah. uh, cut. I'm going to take anything of s- dealing with CBD out. I'm telling you right now, that's being taken out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's just it just has to do with this misinformation. And the reason why with the CBD thing is before, you know, oh, I w- there's this whole mystique around we don't know marijuana research. It hasn't been done. We don't know it. We don't know what the potentials are. So me being the moron that I am. Oh, I don't know what CBD can do, so yeah, let's go ahead and research it and sell it across states because why not? Well, that's the wreck mentality. That's the profiteering mentality. What we don't realize is that there are patients out there who, who I don't even care if they're in a state where they can or cannot get THC, but there's patients out there who are getting this information and they're trying to treat their cancer <laughs> And other illnesses with CBD oil that they oh, can yeah. legally purchase online, and they're dying yep. because you guys want to make money. The important thing here is educating. You know, if we don't know what it can do, then don't say it can do something. <laughs> Plain and simple. You know, we found that it works great for epilepsy, it works great for seizures. But it turns out, talking with real medicine makers who are actually in the forefronts and in the battlefield making this medicine for patients, it turns out that CBG is actually better than CBD. And you're like, oh, well, what's CBG? Well, the last numbers I heard at the conference in Slovenia was that there's 144 different compounds in the cannabis plant that have been identified so far. 27 of them are exclusive to the cannabis plant, and those are called cannabinoids. That's THC, CBD, CBG, THCA, all your different varieties. Well, CBG is the one that is actually most effective for treating epilepsy and seizures. And the way to get this, you can get this from any strain. You don't have to have strain-specific plants, um, which is another thing I have problems with. We had a patient in Slovenia um, say, I took this oil and it didn't work. Okay, what strain were you using? It turns out the strain he was using was a high CBD, low THC strain. So his oh, cancer yeah. did nothing. The tumor yeah. was still the same size. Oh, no. <sighs> high THC, man. So that's why, yeah, you need a high THC indica plant. But when you want to try doing this, treating this condition another way without doing, I, I, I agree with Rick that every single human should do this 60 grams in 90 days dose just to reset your system. And then keep going again. And then if you if you do that and you still experience seizures, you still experience epilepsy, you still think that that's not done, then you don't want to double the treatment. You don't want to do 120 grams in six months. Then try the CBG stuff. And the way to get it is to harvest your plants early. So cut your plants down like a week, two weeks before they're normally ready. And your CBG will still be there. It will not be changed or transferred into a different compound. 
So that's the big secret mystique around that if you want to know. Um, I'm gonna, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you high THC all day, every day. All day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we uh, – yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring one more liner. No, one more break in. So we're going to hop back into it. Oh, yeah. um, you just heard. I'll just go down everything you heard. If you don't know by now, now you know. <laughs> but uh, it was a flock of seagulls we heard. I ran. We got LaGrange by ZZ Top, Our House by Madness, We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's, and Kung Fu Fighting, <laughs> Carl Douglas. Um, coming up next, Come On Eileen, Dexie's Midnight Runner.
You're listening to the Mike Wise Show, brought to you by the Trim Shop.
Come on, 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 come on,
This is Rich Simpson, and you're listening to The Mike Wise Show. And for God's sakes, sober up and take the oil. It's the only thing that can save your life. (laughs) You heard it from the man himself. Sober up and take the oil. You're going to hear me preaching this for the rest of my life (laughs) until you don't want to hear me no more. But seriously, this plant has so many benefits. Like, you need to tell every single person you know this prohibition needs to end okay i'm not here to advocate for smoking weed i'm not here to talk about doing dabs i'm here to tell you about the extracts of the cannabis plant and how it can save your life we can talk about all that stuff later this is what's most important that's the only way you're going to get through to people i'm telling you you've been trying it this other way and it's not worked right right am i crazy all right all right all right all right no but seriously um before we cut out of here um I just want to remind you guys about two more events we got going on. Of course, Monday, this Monday and every Monday, we um, I host a veteran appreciation event um, at a cannabis club in Colorado Springs, Studio A64. Um, I believe it starts 7 p.m. Um, I normally don't get there till 8, but show up, you know, hang out, toke out, you know, enjoy yourself because um, there's not too many places where you can do that, and this is one of them. And we're gonna. It's free admission for veterans, dependents, and first responders, and a free meal will be provided. I can't oh, tell yes. you what it's gonna be, but it will be something. I forgot she. Oh, she does that. Yeah. So definitely come out every Monday. Studio A sixty four in Colorado Springs, corner of Colorado and Wasatch. Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't remember from that one. Weirdest streets. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but also today, um, if you're up for it, um, you know, I know it's kind of cold and I know I might be asking a lot, but, you know, it's very important to do this kind of charity advocacy work. You know, it's very important to have that balance in your life, just just for your own personal self-satisfaction. You know what I mean? And um, I, I like to do it a little bit more than others. Uh, I'm a little, I go a little overboard sometimes with helping because I, you know, I like, I like to help people. Um, so with that being said, there's a Christmas parade um, today. Um, I believe it's from 5:30 to 8, um, but I'm gonna show up at 4:30 um, with the Heroes Pack crew. And if you guys don't know, um, I've had John Franks the. Uh, the organizer of Heroes Pack on the show before. And um, it's a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing veterans with service dogs. And I'm a very big advocate of this cause. Um, one, I love supporting my veterans every chance I get. Two, I'm a dog guy. I love dogs. I have a big 105 pound, furry oh, little pit bull. He might be 110 now, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> which I. <laughs> as of lately have been uh gloriously referring to as my fat idiot because oh, <laughs> because it. he has gotten a little bit of cow. weight. Yeah, he's he's half hippo, <laughs> half cow. And currently banned in Denver, oh. which seriously, you got to lift the ban. This is I'm not talking about another law based on lies, based on racism. Mm-hmm. We got to end the pit bull ban here in Denver. That's I very know. important. So sad, my little doggy fugitive. But he is a he's an emotional support animal. He's a service animal himself. So um, I know of the healing healing powers of having a buddy with you, you know, when you're down. You know, it's not always smiles in life, you know, and sometimes you go home, you want to relax, and there's nothing better than having that furry little guy waiting for you to get there every day. 
So I'm a big, <laughs> big uh, <laughs> believer in the power of service dogs. And if, and if anyone needs them, our vets need them. So um, I like to ha- uh, help out with Heroes Pack every chance I get. And today is one of those opportunities. So if you want to come out, um, come to Woodland Park. Um, meet us around 430 behind the Woodland Park Credit Union. We're going to be marching with the Canyon, what are are now being referred to as the Canyon 8, um, which is the um, family of eight children who their father passed away and then their mother committed suicide in front of them. And so they're living in Canyon City, kind of just trying to get by without parents. There's eight kids. Uh, The oldest one is, I don't want to say, is more than 13 years old, maybe 14. Um, So we're going to go hang out with them and try to bring a little cheer in their life. Um, so I urge you guys come out, you know, it's, it's cold, but what else are you going to do? You, you know, get There's walking, you'll warm up. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and if Val's there, she'll have some alcohol. Yeah, I'll have some alcohol so, get probably. Some, get some alcohol and you warm me <laughs> up, you know, yeah, I guess for a good cause, you know, <laughs> marching for a good cause. Um, but yeah, and then, so before I do cut out of here and leave you with some music, another reminder, Saturday the 17th, come out to One Love Club in Colorado Springs. It's free oil making workshop public speaking seminar, and four movie screenings for now. I might do one or two more if time is permitting. I saw another one recently that was really good about money and politics, which I might I might have to throw up on there. Cause it it's, all it's, just breaks my heart. Well, it all ties in, and yeah. that's what a lot of these cannabis people, you didn't see me, but Val saw me. I put the air quotes on. A lot of these cannabis people... <laughs> Only fight for the plant. Don't understand that it's it's an entire encompassing political realm that you're in. You're in American politics. Whether you like it or not, that's what you're in. Yeah. That's what you got to fight against. It's not just free the plant. There's more to it than that. Um, we're going to talk about all this um, two Saturdays from now, the 17th, One Love Club in Colorado Springs. So we are just about out. I want to give another shout out to my sponsors, Pipes Peak. Uh, 710 Pipes, Endomax Lighting, and the Trim Shop. Definitely check out the Trim Shop. Colorado Springs, Durango, and Denver. They have three locations to serve you. Tell them you heard about them on my show. They'll give you $25 off your rental. And seriously, you will thank me. You know, you will thank me later. You'll say, oh, Mike, this was the best idea you ever gave me. Because it really is. I hate dealing with trimmers. You hate dealing with trimmers. Let's just, let's just be upfront about it. They're whiny, lazy... <laughs> Pains in the butt. No, seriously. (laughs) And a machine is not going to whine, and it's going to do a perfect job every time. No, it's pretty cool. The new Twister T4 and the other machines they have rotate um, horizontally. Yeah, horizontally. So the product is only in there for about 30 to 45 seconds, unlike other trimmers where it's like a revolving cylinder, and it stays in that cylinder for three minutes revolving around and getting crushed around. The new technology, it's, it's lightly sliding through a cylinder horizontally and it's yeah it's amazing you would not tell i mean you have to be a really experienced person to tell and honestly if you're dealing with a professional trimmer and not the the whiny ones (laughs) they damage the product more than the machines do they handle them the product very violently you will be shocked if you haven't hired a professional trimmer yet so just avoid all the hassle call the guys at the trim shop call lance say hey man I need a trim machine. I'm tired of dealing with these whiny trimmers. He will know exactly what you're talking about, and he'll give you $25 off. Just tell him you heard about him on my show. But we are out, guys. So remember, you're listening to The Mike Wise Show here on Toke Radio. Radio, radio, radio. Oh, my God. <laughs> Peace.
Peace.
You play the guitar on the MTV. 